Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammers so we can clear a path to the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the umbral web this episode are... Yeah, I'm Paul. And uh, guys, you know, like, the, the daughters of Cain, they're all from Olgu and stuff. And this whole Harkiron thing, it's almost like a vacation. You know what I'd call it? A dark holiday. <laughs> I am Josh, and I'm here to talk about the umbral, believable lore of the daughters of Cain. I like that. <laughs> and I'm Will. And just like the high gladiatrix, I have to ask, are you not entertained? <laughs> also, very good. Uh, mine's not as good as your guys's. Um, and I'm Aaron, uh, and I call my girls the daughters of lame. <laughs> I'm lame, guys. It was it was a self burn. Those are rare. Uh, in this episode, we cover the lore of the daughters of Cain battle tome. Get ready to hear a whole lot of screaming, steaming, and scheming. And then, if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those women. Man, that was, uh, was a stretch. You're not getting my best tonight. Well, guys. Well. Uh, I, I can't tell if it was supposed to be Scottish or is just supposed to rhyme. It was like they're God. miniatures. They're weeming, man. Uh, how are you tonight, fellow Leathanam? It's because we're all guys. Yeah. That's why. Don't take, Ooh, don't take yeah. it personally. Um, right, right. How are you guys doing? Good, 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 excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's a warm day today. Yeah, Fine. yeah. Saturday yeah. was very nice, but and yesterday breezy. threw me off. And very, mm-hmm. yeah, very breezy. Almost got blown away. Um, I did have Brussels sprouts yesterday, so I apologize. <laughs> Apology <laughs> accepted. Is that like a Mother's Day tradition then, or what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so it sounds like everybody's doing just dandy. Um, we've got a story phase. We've got a great story phase uh, for you folks tonight. But before we do, I'd love to hear from my fellow co-hosts. I'd love to know what they've been up to uh, in the hobby. And let's just go in the same order. Paul, what have you been doing uh, in the hobby lately? I have been working on... A Tempest Eye, uh, Path to Glory, Order of Battle, using the Ash Waste Nomads and Caradron bits to make a Rusted Waste-centered Scavenger Cities of Sigmar um, army. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. That's a mouthful, but I love it. Um, (laughs) If... If listeners wanted to see pictures of this of this project that you're working on, where would they go to see pictures of this? Well, uh, they would definitely find the pictures on our Discord. Uh, that's uh, www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Perfect. Nailed it. Got it in one. So, folks, uh, if if the description that Paul offered of his new project, it, it tickled your fancy, <laughs> head on over to the Discord and come check it out. You'll have to go to the Hobby hobby Time channel, but uh, um, the pictures are there waiting for you. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Paul, anything else that you're working on? Uh, yes, Archaeon. Still? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a big model. <laughs> I mean, all right. Now, I'm just going to say, Aaron, if I could say that with literally everything that you're working on. I was just going to say, is he going to turn around on me? <laughs> fair play statue i deserve that yeah um touche indeed um all right josh what uh what are you working on in the hobby or what have you what have you been working on in the hobby i'm working on my darko savagers as part of the uh, circle of paint challenge for the dogs for Warcry podcast we're coming up on episode eight so i'm running out of time uh, <laughs> so i got almost all the base coats on and then i'm actually gonna try something out i've been uh, watching some painting tutorials and, um, you know, people using oils and oil washes to do uh, shading and then some highlighting. So I'm actually going to use that as my next hobby 
development project. And uh, so after I get the base coats on, I'll start working with some oil paints and see how it all turns out. Very cool. Right on. So getting the base coats on, is that 75%? Is that 50%? Because, you know, I heard on the last show that you were supposed to be 75% done by the next show. <laughs> well, that, that was that was Paven trying to push some sort of standard oh, so it don't come with the last minute win. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a pusher, that Paven. I've always said that about him. It's a disgruntled podcast, man. <laughs> um, hey, Will, what uh, what have you been up to in the hobby? Um, in between pretending I'm actually going to start painting my Ideneth Path to Glory roster, I've been kit bashing a bunch of. Uh, Cruel Boy Oryx for the new Anvil of Apotheosis. Just seeing the weird, wacky stuff I can come up with. Right on. Do you got a favorite so far? Yeah. So I took the limited edition Swamp Kala Shaman. I replaced his staff with a spear, and then I put him on a base with the the crab uh, as his minor companion. Hmm. And I love him. <laughs> if anything ever happens to him, you'll kill all of us and then yourself. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right, right on. Does he have a name yet? Uh, he had a name. I It is Beast Finder Grabs It. Nice. Uh, I just off the cuff were coming up with this question, just hoping that you had answers. And lo and behold, you did. I did. Good job. Bro. Of course. Why would um, I not name him? That's I'm too shame. Taking out a Haven's <laughs> book, typically. Um, all right. And then am I, and I, coincidentally enough, I'm also assembling Dark Oath Savagers, breaking a break from the daughters, which is ridiculous because we're literally having a daughter's conversation right here, right now. Um, but right here, I wanted to, right now I wanted to finish up my uh, Slaves to Darkness stuff that I had. So in doing those, in, in assembling those, I could check the slaves off the list. So um, nice. I think I'm... I'm almost done. There's 10 of them, right? So like I'm probably on dude seven or eight at this point. So we're getting close. Um, close. Yeah, right on. And then I like how that I was trying to make it a point to like ask ask the Discord, like, hey, what what's the right loadout for like each of these dudes? Um, as if it made any difference whatsoever in my life, because Lord knows it's not. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get them on the table before anything else happens and the rules change and everything else. So, you know. Yeah, true. It'll mess them all up. Ironically enough, that I already made that joke on the podcast I recorded earlier today. So now the question is, which episode am I going to have to edit it out from? Because Lord knows I can't keep it in both. Eeny, meeny, miny, Right. I reckon this one will probably go a little bit longer. It probably has a little bit more fat to trim, I'm sure. So... Um, um, speaking of trimming the fat, hey, let's jump right into uh, our, uh, our story phase. If you guys got nothing else you want to chat about. Um, so, Paul, if you'd be so kind as to do the honors. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. Guys, we made it. Here we are. Let's do this thing. All right. Darters of Cain. So this is a, a faction, and army. It's been out for quite a bit, actually. I'm t- trying to take a look at, can I talk and look at my books at the same time? Let's see. Is this going to work? Give you a 35% um, chance. Make a like, roll. I mean, it, it, <laughs> they, they've been around the block for a bit. Um, Marathi's <laughs> been around. Um, so we're finally getting around to covering them. What is this? Must be their like third battle tome at this point. So yeah. we get there eventually, you guys. I mean, it just takes us a little bit. Um, I'm, still, and, I'm still Marathi from the block. You know it. Um, and so... <laughs> Uh, I mean, we've talked about, we've talked about, they've been sort of ancillary to a lot of our conversations, especially with the recent Broken Realms Marathi book. And by recent, I mean, literally a year ago. Um, so it, <laughs> we, I think 
folks through osmosis has picked up, have picked up quite a bit uh, about the daughters of Cain. But let's let's at least touch on a little bit, you know, where they come from and a little bit of their history to catch folks up. So, who who may not know about the um, the history of those daughters or you know what they're all about. So let us start the way we always do uh, by offering up a one sentence uh, explanation, uh, our best one sentence explanation to sum up the daughters of Cain. Um, and it's not really a competition, but I love everyone trying to one up each other. So um, if you folks would be willing to indulge me uh, and let's, let's um, explore my favorite segment of the entire show. So uh, it seems like some folks of you, some of you guys have already written down notes, which is very, it's Very literally cool. the opposite of the spirit. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's against the <laughs> against the spirit of the game that we're trying to play here. So I don't want to be so cruel as to flat out delete your your sentences, but I will look at your sentences, and if you read them word for word, you are disqualified and, and uninvited from the podcast for the rest of the night. So, um, which is actually going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Uh, and yet, um, so since Paul was willing to not bend the rules. He also, I mean, he lives the spirit of the game that we're trying to play here. Paul, I'd love to hear your one sentence explanation of the Daughters of Cain. Um, let's go with um, blood swilling, mortal killing, hyper violent acrobats of Cain. A dead god. Acrobats of a dead god. Let's go with that. Nice. Perfect. Uh, can't can't be beat. Uh, what I did is actually I, I I hid your guys' previous uh, your, your entries. I won't delete them. That's that's mean. Um, no, you bastard, Josh. I can see what you're doing right now. Uh, There's a of power right now. Something's going on in this temple city. Uh, Josh, it's your turn. Don't let me do it, Josh. Give me a one-sentence explanation of the Daughters of Cain. Definitely. We've got murders. Elves of all sorts and varieties with a new upgraded goddess. Okay, yeah, all right. There you go. And you got the murder in there. I feel like that's important. Elves, obviously. All right, you, you, you touched on some great stuff there. Uh, Will, it's your turn. Show them how it's done. I have to not follow the notes. All right. Um, <laughs> I have no problem with that ever. I don't understand why people have a problem with following the notes. I, you know, <laughs> the first victims of Marathi's lies... These elves follow the new god across the mortal realms. Excellent. All right. And I, there was a little editorializing right there. I, yeah, I, I feel like I understand how you feel about Marathi and, uh, you know, who she is. Um, good job, guys. I feel like uh, we've a job well done. Uh, we can close <laughs> her up there. Now, I can't keep making that joke every time we do this. I need to stop <laughs> that one. Um, all right. So uh, those those are the Daughters of Canaan in a nutshell. But let's 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 look backwards let's get introduce some hindsight a little bit here and talk about how how they got here how they arrived where what's a little bit of their origins um they share a lot of their history with some of the other factions that we've talked about sort of a nauseum at this point uh the the deepkin the lumineth uh the daughters now at this point um it's a lot of intertwined um storylines between the elf gods uh slanesh elf souls the world that was etc cetera, etc cetera. does anybody want to give me a quick 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 summary uh as to where the daughters of cain are, are coming from in the mortal realms yeah i could take it yeah um, because like you said this is their third battle tome but this is the first battle tome i've actually read for the daughters of cain so some of this i don't know if it's new or if it's new to me i'm in that boat too I'm right there with yeah you. after you know the world that was exploded slanesh ate a bunch of elven souls and 
as we all know, we have the the four big elvish gods teamed up to sort of get those souls out of Slanesh. But even though Marathi wasn't a god, they needed her advice because she's the only person they can think of who has escaped Slanesh's belly on her own, crawled her way out. Um, so while this is still connected to everyone all the other elves of Sigmar AOS. Um, this specific story is a little bit different because it's not that she was a god. It's they picked her because she is a survivor and that she can get the job done. And so she took her pittance or her, what is it? Her tax of elvish souls and created the daughters of Cain. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't ask for a better uh, explanation. Um, though I will, the one correction, it was, um, Marathi doesn't crawl anywhere. She, I don't know. She strides horizontally yeah, perhaps, <laughs> right? Um, but slithers. She, she's, yeah, or slithers. Uh, I dare you to say that to her face. Um, but, uh, she's never crawled a day in her life. Um, even as a baby. Actually, can you imagine Marathi as a baby though? That's wild. No. It's only like 50,000 years ago. That's all. Uh, if, yeah, but maybe more than that. I mean, it's hard to judge. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. She was all part of the whole, um, the fishing expedition of souls out of Slanesh's belly. Um, I, she got some of the first ones, didn't she? Didn't she? Like, is that why she got like some of the weird, like some of the weird stuff that popped out of Slanesh's belly? Um, well, call correctly. So they actually explain it a little bit in the book. Um, and this mm-hmm. was something that I did not parse before or didn't realize. I think they um, changed it. Yes, it feels like it might have been a change, um, Mm -hmm. which is that the actual daughters of Cain, um, the the witch elves and the sisters of slaughter, seem to be normal elves. Um, I don't know if they started out as normal elves. Your definition of the word normal, but (laughs) but they seem like elves from the realms, I should say. Whereas the Scathborn, which is the serpentine and the winged ones. When Marathi takes the souls from Slanesh, she actually puts a blood, a drop of the blood from Cain into the the bowl where she creates them, and there they become those mutants, as it were. Mm-hmm. So that's an intentional yeah. creation on her part, which I don't remember that necessarily being a thing. Yeah, before they were the original, uh, initial corrupted versions, you know, kind of like they talked about with the Luminous Realm Nords too. So, but yeah, but now, it, you know, they changed it where she created them in the cauldron with Cain's blood. Okay, interesting. So... I like what was saying before. I didn't read the previous battle tones close enough to no- notice that it was a difference. But if it is in fact, then uh, hey, you know what? The storyline evolves, or maybe it was just flat out a secret. I'm sure Marathi wasn't wasn't advertising mm. the fact that she was creating these things. Um, and it's probably also true that they were pretty warped and twisted in Slanesh's belly long before Marathi even got to him. So interesting, hey, though. Aaron, I got a word for this. Can I can I use Tell my me. word? Yeah, okay, word. I know what it is. Unreliable narrator. <laughs> Can't rely on it. <laughs> it's definitely an example of an unreliable narrator where we're getting one story from one book and another story from another, um, which is one of the things that I really enjoy because now Marathi is an actual god, so of course her origin story has changed, right? If they came out of Slanesh as they were, well, then they weren't created by Marathi. But if Marathi created them, right, then she has actual power over their creation yeah ownership over them in some way this battle tome in particular uh, didn't read 
like a normal battle tome to me because of part of the way because it started and part of the way because there's a lot of changes to what I understood to be the lore for this faction. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was actually very intentional to reflect the fact that Marathi Kane is now the leader of the religion as opposed to playing as the leader of a dead god's religion. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, as time goes on, as we go through the book, I'd love to hear other examples of things that you feel like have have evolved or changed or what have you. So uh, we've got, I feel like we got the origin pretty nailed down. And this is one of the few times we're like jumping into the origin and then the timeline after the fact seems to flow fairly naturally. I've always dreamed that it was going to work this way. And I think this might be the first time that it's actually working well. But um, so they've been created. This is deep in the age of myth, early, early days, but we still have a whole age of myth to go through. Um, I would love to hear what your guys' impressions were before we get to the story specifically, but just generally, what did the age of myth mean for the Daughters of Cain? Like, how did how did they live in that age? And then we can use sort of the stories to sort of back up or use that, uh, as evidence. Um, but what were they doing generally around that time? I think uh, the, the first point I would make is that they weren't really a thing because... Marathi was just alone and had no worshipers because she wasn't a god. And so until we got this, you know, partnership of Teclis and Tyrion and Malarian, she was just trying to find some way of gaining power. And so it, it very much read to me, at least to start with, as an origin story. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And very mythological too, right? Like where it was the time where there was just gods or, you know, plural gods. Um, and they were, you know, uh, living in these sort of prehistoric times a little bit before even the faction existed. And that's, that's true. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because they talk about her stealing malarian shadow shifting magic and using the, you know, the shadow paths to allow her sex to travel throughout the realms and establish new places all secretly. So malarian didn't really know what was going on and how she was expanding her power in the realm of Ugu. Yeah, and she was drawing uh, sort of, the, like we were saying before, the, the elves of the realm, like to her um, uh, in, in, Ugu, in Ugu and, and elsewhere, um, and sort of serving as a figurehead, right, for that, um, for the religion of, of, you know, following the bloody-handed god, the you know, of, of Cain. And uh, we, we can get into this now, I suppose, but tricking those elves uh, to convince them that, you know, she had some sort of, connection to Cain beyond just this one singular artifact that she controlled, the, the Iron Heart of Cain, where she was drawing some element of power from. Um, mm-hmm. But then using uh, using that as a status symbol to sort of convince them that uh, she was maybe greater than she ended up being and was sending them off on, uh, maybe crusades aren't the word, but missions or uh, uh, holy holy uh, quests to go out and find um, additional artifacts from Cain too, right? Like we, we've got this heart, but there's more out there. He's got, he's got fragments and he, they need to be found. And if we can put them back together, essentially, uh, maybe we'll be able to draw on more power. Very similar to the Fire Slayer story in, in some mm-hmm. sense, right? You've got the shattered God. Um, but but, but, that, but they can actually do that. <laughs> yeah, <right>. totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very different. Um <laughs> But I, I wonder if she even got the idea from the fire slayers, right? Like it's it's like hmm, they've got the right uh, they've got the right idea over there. I'm gonna borrow some of that. She's conniving. She she watches Grimnir explode and just starts taking down notes. Mm-hmm. She's like, good idea. Don't want to explode though. I don't not I don't love that. Crosses that step off. Step one. Uh, but step two through ten makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, did you guys have any stories from this uh, age that really jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I was going to say, I had one that I thought was fun, um, which is Savagery Excised. 
which is we have like bone splitter oryx who instead of like their traditional war paint are painting themselves with actual shadows and like looking at these stories this looks like the first big like war that the daughters of cain have that's not with each other um as marathi's like cleaning house to create her cult and it's just interesting that like you have this cult that is all about being fast about being bloody about being murderous going up against almost ninja oryx and then it ends with them assassinating this dude while he's out fishing (laughs) he's fishing giant sharks that live in shadow but he's still fishing i just feel like that's rude he died how he lived Fishing. <laughs> I love that they had shadow painted, you know, they were shadow painted, you know, so like some yeah. shadow tattoos and stuff. That's kind of cool. That is cool. Right on. Um, anybody else have any stories from this time frame that they want to chat about? Uh, they introduced a, a plot thread that I don't remember from the previous one either, um, an ill-fated prophet. Yes. They talk about Mariah mm-hmm. Hag, which is an old world um, elf, elf god. Um, but they've introduced this conflict now where there are daughters of Cain um, type elves that worship Mariah Heg, who is the goddess of prophecy, um, as opposed to Marathi. And they had basically infiltrated all of the temples and everybody was totally cool with it until Marathi was like, oh, I don't like this. They're worshiping somebody else besides Cain, a.k.a. me. And then went on and to just basically eradicate them from the face of the realms, but didn't quite succeed. So that's a plot thread that'll pick up later too, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I think it was even more the fact that because some of these people actually had prophecies, and then they would start saying, you know, we never we never prophesized the death of Cain. You know, so how do you know he's gone and how do you have usurped his power? We never prophesized his rebirth. So this is not happening. And so that's, I think that was what was creating the conflict. She was like, oh, they're, they're directly contradicting what I'm saying in my religion. Uh, they need to go. <laughs> this and then one of the other stories really drives home a point for me, which is I've always associated Daughters of Cain with Marathi and her cults. But we're seeing that like this battle tome really is the battle tome for the elves and daughters themselves. Marathi is very important, but like we're seeing non-Marathi daughters of Cain start to sprout up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it even mentions a few places where, you know, if, if her followers had discovered her duplicity, you know, they would be taking her out, you know. So it, it kind of goes on to emphasize that she's created this entire world with a lie. And, you know, it's really just her and everybody else is kind of following along until they find out better. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it is really fascinating to me that in a world where the gods literally exist we have a character who's not a god who convinces an entire race that she is right mm-hmm. or speaks on behalf of a god and then becomes a god right like yep so what it really kind of plays on is the idea that we don't really know what gods are in the mortal realms which we kind of discussed when we were talking about Broken Realms, where Kragness is like, here's a god. Okay, but we don't know anything about him, and we need to learn about him, right? Whereas Marathi has just become a god, but we're taking the narrator's word for it, right? And it totally makes sense that she is, but then 
how do you combine two gods and then the the one god becomes two gods and it it makes it super complicated but also super intriguing to me just the whole path it also acknowledges that you can totally fake it until you make it when it comes to because <laughs> like, exactly. it's all about belief right uh, in 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 de- deification and in podcasting, fake it till you make it. <laughs> um, one, I guess I don't even have a. I, I'm not even going to necessarily talk about any story elements of it, but it's in this time frame. Also, they introduce um, the uh, Iron Shard. Uh, is that the name of the town? Yep. Uh, yep. Iron Shard. Yep. And and here it's a sort of a mountain, like isolated stronghold, but it's built on top of this Umbrium mine. And so you hear Umbrium. It sounds like some sort of rare material. You, you wonder is that the, some sort of realmstone? No, not realmstone. Completely different magical material. Apparently, Olgu's got two of them. Um, this one is. It's like a special magical metal um, that they can mine here at the Iron Shard. What's um, made of it? Like the whole the temp, the temple is made of it. The temple's made of it too. That's even wilder. Um, and because of it, it's just as valuable as this realm stone. And so they make apparently temples and weapons and things out of it. And this iron shard uh, place comes up a few times in the book. So I, it's one of those, it may have been mentioned before, I don't know. But like the fact that they keep bringing it up makes me think that it's, it's kind of important, right? Like it's almost spends as much time being discussed as like Hagnar, which is, you know, the capital of... Um, uh marathi's like strongholds and stuff so like it i just thought it was noteworthy that it's brought up here but also multiple places later as well so um mm-hmm. it keep hey guys keep your eyes open or keep your eyes on iron shard and see uh, what what comes of it there, there may be more than meets the eye more than meets the eye you know it uh does is there any other age of myth stuff that folks want to talk about before we we shift gears we turn the clock forward i think we hit it all tear off a page on our uh, age calendar. All right. Uh, we transition <laughs> to the uh, age, of, uh, age of Chaos. Um, what is, again, sort of speaking generally, what does the Age of Chaos look like for our Daughters of Cain? I'll get us started. For example, Daughters of Cain typically located in Olgu, by no means exclusively, but oftentimes they are. And uh, one of the hallmarks of the Age of Chaos in Olgu um, is the uh, invasion is not quite the word, though there are invaders, I suppose, but um, yep. Slanesh has its eyes has the forces of Slanesh have their eyes on Ulgu because they believe that's where they're going to find Slanesh, who's you know obviously been um, chained up in the in the hidden gloaming between Ulgu uh, and Hish. Um, so they're running rampant across the realms. They're obviously buttonheads up against the, the daughters of Cain. Um, fortunately, the, uh, the daughters can use the shadows of Ulgu to their advantage, and they can uh, strike from the shadows and use it to obfuscate and hide and, um, you know, guerrilla tactics when fighting Slanesh, but they do see a, a, a fair bit of that invasion there, uh, in the realm. Uh, does anything else jump out at you guys about the, uh, as far as the age of chaos is concerned for the daughters of Cain? Um, or if there's any stories, you, I suppose you can jump into your stories now too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, I, you know, the preemptive measures section, uh, here talks about, um, Marathi's fear that the the followers of Slanesh would discover the shadow paths and be able to use them to their own you know benefit, and that she unleashes the Canite Shadow Stalkers to kill any Chaos Warlords that get close to the, the portals and things like that. So it was interesting to me because I played the Canite Shadow Stalkers for Warcry, and they're kind of retconned into this section in terms of you know they weren't created you know closer to the the Broken Realms books. They were actually created much earlier now and they've got marks of shadow so they can they can do this bidding for her even in during the Age of Chaos. So I thought that was a nice little uh, inclusion and kind of pulling up forward in the timeline. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where they're very secretive, right? They could have been used, you know, this whole time and no one would know because they're, you know, exactly. stealthy assassins. Um, I will call out the fact that actually they have a term for the Age of Chaos, they being the Daughters of Cain, and they call it the Cathtrar Duel because um, it wouldn't be an elf uh, battle tome unless they had fancy words for like, you know, an age or something <laughs> like that. Um, what is the Lumineth? Okariadara. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's exactly what it was. Um, so that's the Spirefall. Um, does anybody have any other stories they want to talk about in the Age of Chaos? I enjoyed the Bond of Blood, um, where Marathi and her son Malarion, who we haven't really talked about so far, um, but that's a bond from the old world that makes it into the mortal realms. And um, they meet each other and hate each other still because of everything that they hated about each other in the old world. So, you know, uh, Malarion's got mommy issues and, and they continue <laughs> on to the current day. And he's a god and she's not. That was, yeah, not, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so she's got son issues of like, dude, like, come on. <laughs> Help me out here. Um, so they do find common cause to fight Bellacor, um, but then they use their tense relationship as a way to actually win the battle because they both bring their separate armies to fight Bellacor, and then Marathi is like, oh, actually, I'm not doing so great. I'm just going to run away. So then Bellacor completely commits to Malerion, and then Marathi turns around and is like, oh, I was just joking, and then flanks Bellacor. <laughs> um, so it was fun. This story also has a new noun alert because <laughs> uh, it's mo- yeah we have a new noun it's malarion's olgurothi oh yeah yes. oh yeah i saw that yeah i just did a google search and it's like do you mean algorithm no <laughs> i don't mean that google man google you're so dumb come on google don't tell google i said that <laughs> it already heard you i was gonna say it's already aware <laughs> um yeah i wonder um like it's one of those. I wonder if they're dancing around like what term they actually want to use for for like Malarion stuff, right? Like either either that is the term, or they're just trying to get creative with like their terminology before they can actually announce what the name of whatever his army is going to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we know his army is called the Umbraneth, I think. I that feels right, especially because it's got the F suffix yeah. that all it, the other elves do. Yeah, so they've said it before, mm-hmm. but they've also said it in relation to the Knight Shadow Stalkers, I think. Hmm. Like it's, yep. I don't just shadow, shadow folk, essentially. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, it calls into question whether or not the shadow stalkers are actually maybe something that Malarian uses as well. I think somewhere in here or somewhere else, I did see that he does have shadow stalkers as well. Hmm. But, but I don't know, you know, again, they're called canine shadow stalkers and they're marked in a way that Marathi, they're, they're, they're completely loyal to Marathi, or at least they're supposed to be. <laughs> and, um, but, but they do say that. Malarion has shadow stalkers as well, um, and, the, and they both use them to travel through the umbral web because it does take its toll. I don't know if they call what Malarion has. I don't know if he calls no. them shadow stalkers. I know that he has people who can walk through the um, umbra web. I don't know if they're also called shadow stalkers, but though they might be. I guess I don't. I didn't catch it specifically. I just written down somewhere in my notes that he just had other. He had folks too that could do it. Like they both had their own crack team of of you know. Sneaky Assassin. dudes, yeah, exactly. Yep. But I'm looking at uh, someone had screenshotted an article from Warcom. It looks like where they do use the word Umbraneth, I think, for the Shadow Stalkers as well. You know, I always wondered why the Shadow Stalkers were with Marathi in the first place. In that, like, from a um, like a style perspective, there are some similarities, but they are pretty like markedly different from a lot of what the 
the rest of the range kind of looks like. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, they always seem like they stood out to me, but I yeah. guess I just chalked it up to being a Warcry thing as opposed to them being completely different. Well, she's still the shadow sorcery from Malarion. I mean, she's built upon it and, and expanded it, but, I, I, you know, it does. she, she kind of took that information and uses it for her own. So it makes sense that he would also have similar troops and, you know, maybe more of his troops are bound to shadow than Marathi's. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Man, I just, I flat out can't wait for that army to come out. Like, I, it's not right. even, I mean, I, whether or not I collect them is not beyond <laughs> the point. I just want to see what they look like. <laughs> As long as they come in a battle box, you'll collect them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a specific story. There's like a different part of the book that I wanted to mention, just since we're in the age of chaos, which almost almost convinced me that I might like Marathi, which uh-huh. is that followers of Marathi would talk to like Sigmarites and go like, well, yeah, sure, she kills people, but she didn't run away in the age of chaos and shut the door <laughs> behind her. She was mm-hmm. here with us. I'm like, you know what? Actually, got him. Right. <laughs> that makes right. sense. Yeah. Perfect sense. Um, I love it to hear all the different races, like perspectives on like what Sigmar did, right? Like oftentimes you get it from this, you know, the, the, the um, Stormcast perspective or like, you know, the Cities of Sigmar perspective. Well, even in the Cities of Sigmar perspective, you get some people who aren't super stoked on Sigmar. Um, but like, what, what do the daughters, how, what is, what's their take on it? Or, you know, the dwarves or what have you. Um, so chalk it up to less impressed for the daughters of Cain. Again, different part of the book, but I think it's one thing that I'm really picking up on is like the cult of Cain and Marathi extends beyond just these elves. And it's that kind of like propaganda that we might talk about later. That is crucial to it. of like luring people in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Sigmar though, might we transition then to the age of Sigmar? Uh, unless you guys have any any objections. Um, but if we hop into the Age of Sigmar, at least in the early days of the Age of Sig- Sigmar, what what did that look like then for the Daughters of Cain? How did their lives change? How did they stay the same? Um, what uh, what were they up to in the early days of AOS? What do you guys think? They were like solid allies <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it kind of says that Marathi's like, yeah, I know I'm going to do something really stupid uh, later on in the Age of Sigmar. So I'm going to start out being like super cool and like doing everything you say because I'm going to take one of your cities because I'm going to become a god and like I've just decided that that's going to happen. So like the beginning of Age of Sigmar, she is just like, yep, I'll do this. Yep, I'll do that. Where do you need me now? Like the best administrative assistant everywhere (laughs) for Sigmar. (laughs) And then as soon as she moves through an area, Sigmar turns around and then looks back and there's just a bunch of temples and gladiator arenas that she has set up. Which all feeds her power. (laughs) Yeah. She's just giving the people what they want, though. People are eating it up. Yeah. They're all about it. um, How could she say no? Uh, Yeah. So to your point, um, wherever a city of Sigmar sprouts up, so too do they introduce gladiatorial uh, pits or arenas um, that the daughters daughters seem to populate um, and and entertain through their ritualistic blood sports. Uh, It's very ancient Roman. Uh, People are just eating it up. They're they're digging the violence, uh, and little do they know that they're um, you know witnessing these very ritualistic and like. uh, they're they're growing the power of the daughters of Cain through this through this combat, um, but they just think that they're you know having a good time, which is uh, pretty messed up in some ways, right? Come on, guys, you're better than this order. It's in your name. Where's, mm-hmm. where's the order in this? It's very ordered, very strategic. Uh, or like they're gonna order some dude's death. That's for sure. They're gonna order some sacrifices. Check this out. Um, did anybody have any uh, stories from this time from the early days that they wanted to 
chat about? I enjoyed the story, uh, The Fungal Lunatics. No way. I know, you? right? It's, it's about Gloomspike Gets. Who knew? Um, but uh, it is a Gloomspike Gets tribe in Olgu. And I just love the name of the, the main guy, <laughs> the, the the general of the army, is a nitbug dribblesnot. Um, <laughs> and he just rides around on like a massive mushroom. And he has just a bunch of like fanatics around him at all times. And so he be, he just causes basically a bunch of headaches until one of the skate point is just like, I'm done with this, and then turns him into crystal. So somewhere in Olgu, there is a crystallized Gloomspike gets, you know, general on a crystallized um, mushroom, which just sounds amazing and ridiculous <laughs> at the same time. Yep. And, yep. and Paul will have him. <laughs> Rest yeah, sure. the model, I'll have him, or I'll convert him, whatever, it'll be fine. He, he will be his. Oh, yes, he will be his. Um, very, very cool. And mushroomy. Um, all right, so uh, they don't spend too much time in the early days of uh, Ages of In fact, they don't spend too much time in the time of tribulations and soul wars, really, uh, either in these timelines. I think we can recall the fact that um, I believe uh, Marathi had got a sense that Nagash was up to no good, and it was in some part uh, due to her um, urgings and you know um, advice that uh, the forces of order even set out to go and stop um, uh, Nagash. I mean, I mean, there were some premonitions from the uh like lord ordinators on the stormcast side of things but she she was right there with her forces to also um ride out and try and prevent nagash's big uh you know necroquake plan um mm-hmm. though it's worth noting that she didn't necessarily send her best and brightest but rather she sent folks that she she was trying to get rid of um expendable to, yeah yep to uh, fight alongside um those preventing the um uh, the necroquake or tr- trying to prevent the necroquake so she was involved there too again she's sort of she's been around she's been an ally um she's been in the mix uh this whole time um any other time of tribulation soul wars era type points that folks want to bring up because if you don't I'm going to bring up mine, which is a there was a duel to the death story, um, and I bring it up because uh, it highlights uh, one of the new units in this book here with the um, the high gladiatrixes, uh, I think is how you would say the plural of that. Um, so there's the city uh, Drachi Ganeth, which we might talk about a little bit later. It's this tower of blades, but it's known for having a lot of arena fighters. Like it's a, this tall tower, and there's a bunch of different floors um, with you know full of different types of fights in different environments. Anyways, um, uh, a vamp lord rolls up. Uh, and he says, "Hey, look, uh, I'm I'm undefeated, and I'm looking for a duel. Uh, we're going to besiege this town unless you send somebody else, somebody out here to duel me because I, I just I can't lose. I'm on a hot streak. What do you got for me?" And so what they do is they send out um, Elatha Shadow Drake, which uh, to sum it up is basically the high the best high gladiate gladiatrix in this here tower town. Um, and so she rolls up. It takes her takes her seven strikes to, to get through his defenses and one strike to take his head off. So uh, she essentially drops a combo breaker on him, and uh, he, uh, he he unlives no more at this point. So just goes to prove how, how he cool undied. she is. Yeah, he undied. Um, which, I mean, up against a vampire, that's not nothing. I mean, I know she's an elf. I guess I don't know where vampires and elves fall in the power rankings, but uh, still impressive nonetheless. So good job, Sh- Shadow Drake. Um all right the real meat the real bulk of this history or timeline is the stories that we find in the broken realm slash age of beasts uh era 
um, a lot of time is spent recapping what has happened uh, over, throughout Broken Realms Marathi and sort of the fallout of that. Um, I know there's been some questions and things that uh, folks have asked about this, so I think we'll probably spend a fair bit of time here. Um, where do we want to start? Did, I mean, because essentially the stories start right with her ascension. Does anybody want to talk about what that looked like? Well, I'd actually like to talk about the actual book itself quickly before we actually dive into the story. Tell me. Uh, and by what I mean is that this is the first battle tome that I think I've ever read where they devoted like multiple pages towards a city that has nothing to do with the rules for the Daughters of Cain. What I mean by that is that Hark Huron is like the first thing in the book. And they go and do a deep dive, not only of like what happened with Broken Realms, but also like what Hark Huron is right now. Like they went full on into what is it like to live in Hark Huron right now? What are the repercussions of what's going on? And mm-hmm. typically at the beginning of a battle tome, it's like, where did this race come from? Where do they originate from? What are they doing now? And so this was a complete departure for me from what I expected when I started to read the book. So I was very happily surprised to see. I thought we were going to get like, you know, one or two paragraphs on what has happened to the Daughters of Cain since the events of the Broken Realms. And we got pages and pages on it. So that was super fun and awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All sorts of interesting uh, story progression regarding Hark Huron too that we can touch on later, I'm sure. But. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, we'll, we'll go through the timeline. We'll just cover uh, the Ascension of Marathi. Though, honestly, listeners, if you want to hear more about that, you know what you got to do? You got to go check out our episode on Broken Realms Marathi. But highlights. Uh, Marathi has an alliance with Sigmar. They go d- digging into the eight points um, and she betrays Sigmar because she actually wanted to mine up some Varanite. Um, so she takes that Varanite. She brings it back home and she casts this, concocts this fancy spell uh, using the Varanite um, and then also has stolen a fancy lantern from the Deepkin um, so that she can use the Varanite to sort of transform herself and develop a blood portal into Slanesh so she can steal a whole bunch of souls from inside his belly, some ancient, you know, particularly powerful souls from Phoenix inside. Things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absorb them and then use their power to pop out a, a goddess. Um, you would think that that is a complicated enough plan that it, it, there's plenty of opportunity for it to fail. But guess what? doesn't. Well, not, it doesn't essentially fail. She does pop out as a goddess or rather two two equal parts of a goddess. She, her form splits between uh, her beautiful elven form and that big old snake winging demon thing um, that she sometimes used to transform into. Now they're separate, but not separate entities. Um, but that's good enough for her. She's got the power powers of a goddess. Uh, and um, she essentially got what she always wanted. Good job, Marathi. You did it. You did do it. Um, meanwhile, in the process, she also massively betrayed specifically the Stormcast mm-hmm. by sending her fighters to go poison them so they couldn't even go back to Azir and let Sigmar know what's going on and then abandon them in the eight points. And their souls were stolen by chaos. So, like, she not only betrayed, but like literally gut punched a bunch of chambers of Stormcast. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I don't want you to exist anymore, so I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you just go away. You can't make a Stormcast omelet, or no, you can't make a goddess omelet without breaking a few Stormcast eggs, Paul. You of all people should know that. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't go to culinary school, so I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> Marathi's putting on a cooking class then. Um, so there's that. A little blood of cane for you. 
and a little blood of pain for me. Um, so she becomes a goddess, and then it's from there where I think we, you guys were talking about some things that, or you know, hinting at some things that you want to talk about. Because now that she's a goddess, she wants to flex her goddess muscles, see what she's capable of, right? And she's got her sights set on the city, uh, the free city of Amblegard, uh, which, I mean, as time goes on, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be using the term Amblegard for much longer oh. anymore. Um, so uh, this is where we, we focus in on the story of Harkuron. Um, I, f- I suppose I'll, I'll bring up the question now. I don't know where the natural place is for it to jump in. So I'll just, the beginning is a great place for it. Um, so Darth Alec asks, he wants to know, how's the Anvil Guard Harkuron affair covered? So let's let's start there. Uh, who wants to sum, and again, we sort of talked about it in Marathi, but who wants to sum up what has at least happened historically uh, with uh, Anvil Guard there? I'll take a shot at it, if you don't mind. Yeah, please yeah, do. Yeah. You got, a, you got an army from there, so yeah. Exactly. I do have an army from there. I, apparently, I made a really good choice. Um, so um, the the black scale coil is a thing that we've been hearing about in Anvilgard for a while. So Anvilgard was basically kind of the shady city of Sigmar, where there was a high council and an arbiter and all that kind of thing. But a lot of the strings were being pulled by a lot of shady characters Get it? Shady characters. Mm, get out um, of I don't get it. You're fired from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who were being led by a character called the Sovereign, and they were named the Black Scale Coil. Um, so this was super fun for me because usually we get a lot of these little hints of like, hey, this thing exists. Do whatever you want to with it. And that's all we ever hear about it, right? Like, there's a thing called the Black Scale Coil. It can be whatever you want to. And I remember when they first talked about it, there was a lot of discussion about who this was. Like, could it have been Rathi or it could have been Bellacor? It could have been any number of characters, right? Um, but what Broken Realms did is it said, oh, yeah, no, this was Marathi. And this has been a long-term plan. She knew that she was going to try to become a god. And so she pulled this whole shenanigans where she betrayed everybody. And then... She kind of just conquered Amalgard as like a graduation present from mortality mm-hmm. to herself. And so she was just like, I'm, I'm a god now. So I'm just going to like take a city because that's what a god would do. And yeah, I know Sigmar's going to be mad at me, but I don't care. Like I'm a god now, so I'm going to do what I want. Um, and so the Black Scale Coil has an uprising and they functionally just kick everybody out of the city that has any kind of resistance whatsoever to her rule and kill everybody else who actually takes up armed resistance. And one Stormcast escapes. And then we have this, which seems new to me, we have this actually large-scale battle that happens right after Harkiron is taken where the Stormcast come to take it back, which is then interrupted when the microphone comes down, the microphone being the Celestine Prime, and is like, hey guys, we all need to stop killing right now. And then uh, Marathi and the Celestine Prime go parlay for a while. And Marathi comes out and is like, all right, um, Celestine Prime says, you got to stop killing me now. And Celestine Prime's like, okay, guys, you got to stop killing right now because we need Marathi over here in Excelsis because Excelsis is a much bigger fish than Anvilgard and we, we need her help. So um, they make a point of saying that that's not everything that's going to happen. And she just doesn't get to keep Harkiron. But 
there is an impending threat that something for now yeah exactly it's a for now you can have this city and turn it into a temple city with a murder pit of death just like <laughs> don't kill any more people please like don't kill any of the like the mortals Please. Well, you know, when she, when she when she took the city, though, she did turn over thousands of lives to the Idaneth as a yes. reward for their ally. You know, so yeah, thousands. No one had any issue with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just had a little bit of appeasement going on, and it's totally fine. It'll all Gosh did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but who cares about Gash? Thanks. His, his butt got beat. Like he's he's, he's nobody now. Uh, he had to send the librarian because he didn't know what to do. <laughs> I know. I'll send my book, nerd. Um, yeah. So It's like sending one of us to go fight a battle. Yeah. <laughs> Just send um, one of the lower guys. It'll be fine. They'll figure it out. Uh, anything else to add about the the, the taking of, of Harkuron? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, one thing that's that's interesting is the Lord Veritant Kaiser von Brecht is the one who did the investigating and got captured. He was actually released by some shadowy entity. And I, I can't recall if it was deduced to be Bellicor or if it was uh, – some yeah. of people thought it was Malarian. It, yeah, it was, was Bellicor, actually. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. But So he didn't escape. He was freed you know, because somebody wanted the information to get out to Sigmar to, to kind of continue the strife. If we actually kind of parlay that information into what we know happened in Broken Realms, it seems like right. Bellicor freed Van Brecht. In order to take the Stormcast away from Vindicarum. Yep. Right? So he could try and take Vindicarum more easily. So he wanted to make sure that Sigmar knew that something happened here so he would redirect his forces there. Exactly. exactly. Schemes within plans within plots. Um, yep. Uh, Darth Alec had more questions about uh, Harkion. He, he did ask, um, why Anvil Guard? And, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Why did Marathi go after Anvil Guard specifically in the first place? Um, um, it does talk about that in mm-hmm. the book. I think in the bigger section earlier on, it just mm-hmm. talks about how it's in a strategic place on the coast um, in another realm beside of Ulgu. And then it be also because it had such a large population of hells to begin with. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Right on. That's pretty simple. And because the, the council itself was super weak. Yep. So she was able to exercise a ton of power. She was probably hoping to do like more than one, but they're the only ones that fell for it. <laughs> uh, suckers, <laughs> every last one of them. Um, and then uh, I suppose we could talk now about it, but um, do they do they go into any of the Anvil Guard loyalists that are keeping up the fight or or any other any other folks who have a, a objection to the current state of Harkiron? Um, I leave that open ended and you guys can talk about whatever you want. They do. They do. Know, it's actually interesting because I think it's one of those ongoing narratives like, okay, well, yes, she has it, but there are people fighting a rebellion within the city, but there are also all the anvils of Heldenhammer who who are the Stormcast ch- chamber in the city. Um, those that were captured and studied by Marathi were released, and um, they, have, they form a warrior cult called the Salomnites and vow not to take on any honors or accolades until they recapture the city. So now you have this like sub section of this Stormcast chamber that has its own goals. You know, so it's kind of interesting because, you know, even if you kind of draw parallels to the 40K universe during the Horus Heresy, they form these warrior cults that eventually turn to chaos. And you're like, oh, these guys are forming warrior cults. You know, are they going to deviate from Sigmar? Are they going to fall to, you know, temptation? Kind of interested to see where that goes. I feel like I made a Draconith conversion 
of this specific story before I even knew it was a story. <laughs> so I'm super excited about this. Um, mm-hmm. They also uh, paint the anvil guard um, symbol onto their breastplates too. So we have some actual like intentional deviation from the chamber um, colors, which nice. is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I do like they keep the the naming convention because it's not like old anvil guard; it's anvil guard that was, mm-hmm. just like the world that was. Right. So um, they're also, if you want to know more about this, they actually talk a little bit about the guerrilla warfare in the um, Arena of Shades uh, book as well. They talk a little bit more about it. It's not a ton, but it's something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they talk about how um, there are active uh, elements of resistance, and um, Kaiser von Brecht, I think, was specifically mentioned as somebody who was intentionally going back into the city in order to work on overthrowing Marathi. Um, I like all these folks who are sort of disregarding the, the treaty or, or, or like, you know, the peace. They're like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, I don't think so. Gods, um, we're going to take matters into our own hands, which is, you know, yeah, yeah. it's that fighting spirit that you see in the Age of Sigmar. And that it's not just like mortals, that it is Stormcast who are made by Sigmar who are like, yeah. But like, do we need to listen to what you say, though? Oh, yeah. Sorry, oh, no. I'm going temporary. S- Sigmar, I'm going through a tunnel. I can't hear you. <laughs> going up an elevator. <laughs> tunnel into Anvil Guard is where this tunnel's going. Um, yeah. So, uh, we talked about how uh, the essentially is a piece is brokered uh, between the uh, Celestine Prime um, with Marathi because obviously there's bigger fish to fry, and that is the the battle at, at Excelsis. Um, Tyromancer, uh, patron of the show. Uh, had asked, um, does Excelsis pop up in the story since Marathi was there during Kragnos? Um, they have a little blurb here in the timeline talking about, you know, the, a little bit of the battle for Excelsis. Obviously, uh, Marathi um, is convinced to aid uh, the the siege there. So they come in through through ships, right? There's a bunch of like orcs yep. who, who had attacked from the port side. Um, there's a few mega gargants, but then, you know, they see off in the distance, there's the... the um, the black arc corsairs who had sort of abandoned the city for a while because the elves were being persecuted for a stretch. They come returning back, uh, with Marathi at their helm, maybe not literally, but, uh, uh, to, to, you know, storm the beaches and, and, uh, relieve, um, the defenders of Excelsis and Marathi herself and the shadow queen, uh, goes toe to toe with Kragnos for a little bit, but from, from a brawling standpoint, Kragnos uh, gets the upper hand, uh, upper fist, upper mace, upper hoof. I don't exactly know, um, over Marathi's, uh, <laughs> snake coils and like bashes her off into a, a wall or something. And, um, that is a, maybe not a physical wound, but a, a psychological wound that uh, the Shadow Queen doesn't quickly uh, recover from. And we can talk more about that a little later. But to do um, just a quick point there, did you point out that the Shadow Queen is not Marathi Kane? Have we actually covered that bit yet? A little bit, but we didn't go into a lot of detail. Yeah, when she yeah. became the goddess, her her, her psyche split. Um, we'll do a deep dive in Marathi a little bit later um, to highlight that. But just it's super important that specifically the Shadow Queen was the one who got hurt. Yeah, correct. Yep, yep. So, uh, but then as we know, uh, again, if you want to hear more about this, obviously listen to our Broken Realms Kragnos episode. Uh, Kragnos is tricked with through a combination of Marathi's. Um, uh, misleading spells and a portal created by Lord Croak, uh, and he's a uh, whisked off to parts unknown 
Well, actually, no, I think we do know where you go with stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, thus sort of ending that Excelsis siege and Marathi has held up her end of the bargain. Um, yeah, Will has something to, just a little bit before Excelsis there. Yeah. Oh, fine. Fine. We're returning back time. Um, I just wanted to call out. <laughs> uh, um, I just want to call out one of the stories, uh, Cruel Hearts. Um, I mostly want to call out because it takes place before the Battle of Excelsis, before Kregnos comes, and like we see the Cruel Boys arrive in mass. We already have Cruel Boys invading Olgu. Um, and it doesn't outright state it, but I would assume they're almost drawn by the fact that Marathi has ascended to godhood. Because uh, she ascends to godhood, then Cruel Boys show up in Olgu, then Kragnos returns as a god, and Cruel Boys show up in Gur. Uh, so we're seeing that, like, these, what is the Islita tribe uh, showing up as a response to divinity or, or yeah. power growth or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Whatever's pushing them. Mm-hmm. Sensing it. Yeah. Sensing a trend. Interesting. But that's it. No more new gods. That's it. Two, two is enough. You guys. That's, that's for now. Yeah. No, <laughs> in no, this, not in this book. No. For now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we go from the siege of Excelsis. It's it. the epilogue or, you know, outro of that Kragnos book is that um, it, it seems as if Marathi is going to be held accountable for her crimes. She's, uh, brought in front of some sort of tribunal or some council that's going to judge her, um, including the Celestine Prime. But who should come and uh, step in and speak towards, I guess, clemency on behalf of Marathi, um, highlighting the fact that maybe there's bigger fish to fry, there's larger uh, issues at hand. But Grugni himself, the the god of metal, I guess. The great uh, smith. The smith god. Uh, who has been... They say absent for a long time, and I feel like at one point I've talked about on a different episode that never really felt like he was absent to me, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he steps in and says, no, 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 um, now is not the time for this. By God decree, I think she, she's fine. She's totally cool. Let her be. Um, and she walks away, you know, uh, un, un, I guess unchallenged or unpunished, some might say. Yep, unpunished. So I guess to that end, there's a couple of folks who are asking questions about this. Darth Alec had asked, uh, has there been any development on Marathi's punishment? Did you guys find any development on, on any possible ramifications to her actions? Nope. Well, I, th- I think the point that they were like, hey, there actually is going to be a consequence. We're going to let you have Harkiran for now is actually a development. I don't believe that yep. that was specifically stated before. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I, I have a question for you, Aaron. Lay it on me. We have all these questions. How do people get questions on this show? God, I I thought you would never ask. That's I, let me tell you right now. The most important question is that <laughs> very question. Uh, and I fortunately, thank goodness, I'm here because I have the answer for you. Okay. Uh, and it goes a little something like this: Hey, dear listeners, if you want to ask a question for the show that you are listening to right now, and thanks for doing so, by the way, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to ask a question and have us answer it in the most intelligent uh, and thorough and thought-provoking way possible. Uh, I encourage you to hang out at our Discord server, which Paul had called out earlier uh, in this episode, which can be found at www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Uh, and I need you, it's very important, listen closely, you need to hang out in that Discord just all day, every day. Don't ever leave. Um, 
your, your children, not important. Your job, unnecessary. Hanging out in the Discord is what you want to be doing. Uh, and on a random day, with no warning whatsoever, I will ask, hey, listeners, uh, we're going to record an episode. I would love if you have any questions about X, Y, or Z. And then there is your chance, the moment that you've been waiting for, uh, lay them on me. Uh, and I will copy and paste some of them into this document that I'm reading off of right now, and we will read them on the show. That'd be wonderful and glorious and both things. Uh, <laughs> all right. So with that being said, uh, let's ask some more questions. Um, Kiraban uh, was asking, uh, has she in fact received redemption from Sigmar? And what's the current state of affairs between uh, the Daughters of Cain and the Sigmar nation? Um, would you say redemption was in order? Has she been redeemed at all? I got this one. No. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love that. Love that one too. Although she hasn't been particularly punished per se, she also has not been redeemed. We're kind of in that middle ground where everyone's like, I don't I don't know what to do, but I don't I'm not in charge. I I can't enforce anything. There's one guy who really can do anything about it. That's Sigmar. And uh he seems content to just let her, I don't know, spin in the wind, I suppose. Yeah. Uh yeah, I don't know if it's that. It's more grudgy kind of coming forward and saying Hey, you know, uh, yeah, cities and stuff, that's all good, but it's more the fate of the realms is more important. You know, we need to put this aside for now. You know, Do you so. think Sigmar gets two S words on what Grugni thinks about stuff? I mean, maybe he does. Well, uh, he's helped he, them, you know, he's helped yeah. them build the Stormcast, right? I suppose you can't piss that guy off, right? Like, you kind of... Right. <laughs> well, and he immediately gave him a bunch of new armor and stuff. So, he's like, yeah. well, okay, fine. Fine. And that's probably true, right? Hey, Sigmar, to cool you down, check out this sweet new armor. And Sigmar's like, ooh, shiny. Let me see Let me see some of that. <laughs> um, he's like, did you make a set for me? And Grugmi's like, you know, I did, my man. And, uh, okay, I get it. I get it now. And it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, uh, Kiriman has also asked if they talk about any interactions between Marathi and any Dwarden gods. I suppose I could have asked that earlier because, yes, that is this interaction, right, of, mm -hmm. of Grumpy stepping yeah. in. And but but it's, it's fun how they, they describe it. Marathi Kane is content to be patronized by such talk for the mm -hmm. time being. Mm -hmm. But Grudney's yeah. arrival brings her much needed reprieve. So she's still condescending, but she's like, I don't have to deal with this now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and one of the other things that is kind of a theme in this book as well is that Marathi is very much a new god. And so as opposed to most of the other ones that we've read where they've been gods for forever and they kind of know how everything works, Marathi really seems to be like figuring out what it means to be a god and like how she fits into the realms. And so a lot of it sounded a little bit like, all right, so I have my stuff in Ogu, but I only have that because my son gave it to me and I hope I don't make him too angry. And I have the city now in Akshi, but like, I, I really got to make sure that I'm paying attention so I don't make Sigmar too angry. But also, I'm only a god and I only have a religion because of all these people that I tricked into thinking that I'm the servant of Cain. And now that I am Cain reborn. So I got to mm -hmm. be really careful about them doing anything. So like, right. there's not a lot of firm ground for her to stand on yeah. so far that we know of. It's a good thing she's got wings. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like... Teetering from disaster to disaster. And she literally just got done fighting an, one of the oldest gods in Kragnos. So she she can take a break. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, she definitely, you know, I, I think she likes it like this, though. She likes these layers upon layers upon layers of intrigue and stuff. But but at times, I think you're right. It feels like she's like, oh, OK, you know, maybe that was too much or this is not right. Yeah. Or, and she's, just, like you said, kind of feeling things out. Well, and, and kind of to hammer that point home is the last story 
they have in like the the now, as it were. Um, and this is where the Shadow Queen and Marathi Kane are like totally cool, all hanging out, doing fine, right? And then all of a sudden, the Shadow Queen just takes off. And so um, one half of Marathi has just left to go to Gur because she's like, Kragnos, I need to deal with Kragnos. And then Marathi Kane is like, crap, there goes half my soul. I guess I better follow. <laughs> like, And yeah, so yeah. <laughs> not only does she have all these external things that are fighting, now we have this internal, like between Marathi herself, she can't decide what's supposed to be happening right now. And um, yeah. they even heavily imply that the Shadow Queen has actually been making her own army that mm-hmm. Marathi Kane wasn't clear, all that aware of or didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and, and here it even says it seems to be developing its own free will, you know. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. then the Malusai, the blood-racked Malusai, is made with the Shadow Queen. And yeah, like you said, it, it indicates in other areas where she's continuing to make more and more, um, you know, of her own volition and then seems to be making an army. <laughs> <laughs> so very much, it's whenever Shadow Queen goes running off, it's it's it conjures the image of of uh, Kel whenever Keenan is up to his his <laughs> antics. Ah, here you know we what? go again. That was exactly what I pictured in my head when I was talking about the Shadow Queen and Marathi Kane. I could tell. I could yeah. tell. I knew it. One other thing I think is interesting is because like that is the last story of this little timeline. Mm-hmm. So we have an army that is almost majority focused in the realm of Olgu, where she's all about having an iron or a bloody handed grip over everyone in there. And the book ends with her going somewhere else, uh, going to Gur. So now I'm really interested in finding out if anything happens to the kingdom she's leaving behind while she goes to find her other self. Especially if there's, you know, cracks in the facade a little bit, right? If there's a the inkling mm-hmm. of, of dissent, who's to say? Oh, yeah, and there, and there are. Oh, and there is. Um, but, hey, tell you what, that's what I don't know well, if you did this on purpose, but what a great segue <laughs> into, um, hey, guys, how, how does this faction, how's this faction organized? How do they live? What What is their home life like? Um, and the book dabbles in a few, few things that I think are worth um, calling out. Um, one being uh, they this is relatively uncommon, but they call out a couple of like the strongholds that um, the daughters of Cain hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, Kiribon had asked uh, or any major strongholds for the daughters outside of Olgu uh, or what was once Anvilgard. And I think the ones they list here actually might have all been in Olgu, but not, now mm-hmm. is as good a time in any, as any to talk about them. Um, did any of the three uh, grab you guys in terms of interest? Or delight. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, you're right. Uh, apparently, they have lots of temples throughout the realms, but um, but all the main sects are, are in um, temple cities are in Olgu. Um, they do mention a few specifically. Um, the one that caught my interest was the Kilbron, and uh, they focus on Cain's aspect as assassins or the unseen killer, and uh, they tend to be nomadic and, and travel around, um, you know, from from sect to sect. And um, it mentions a few places that Marathi is beginning to be suspicious of them because they tend to have members of the Celebron who worship Marag Keg, you know, the and you know the goddess, the crone goddess of of death, and you know, 
uh, fate, you know, that they can prophesize. And so there's this indication that they, this could be faction now that she's going to pursue heavily or, or there might be rebellion coming within this faction or dissidents, you know, spreading from this faction. So but definitely be interesting to see how that happens. And since it's nomadic, it kind of moves around, so it's hard to pin down, but it could also be spreading its influence. Yeah, real suspicious. Got to stamp that out where you can. Um, did it, anybody else have any other of the strongholds or cities that they want to talk about or or those sub-factions that uh, we have listed out here as well? Um, kind of want to talk about Hagnar, city of the first temple, sort of like the like her capital city in the sense that this is where she's doing the most work and straight up like replacing uh, Cain and all the imagery. Uh, and it's where like, if you want to be a daughter of Cain and you want to rise up the ranks, this is where you go. Cause how the faction is organized is based on Marathi's whims. It just says like, even if there are two people of different ranks in society, if she likes one more than the other, she'll just switch them. <laughs> Uh, and so being close to her is the best way to move up in the world. But then elsewhere, everyone still has these old statues of Cain as he once was. So we're seeing that there's like a a split in Daughters of Cain society based on where her attention is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, that is their, you know, everybody, every faction has like their Hammers of Sigmar faction. And so like that. That is her main um, sort of your generic daughters of Cain because it is you know, hailing from her capital city. So you got to have one. Everybody's got one. Um, Paul, did you have a favorite stronghold and or you know sub faction that you wanted to chat about? We kind of already talked about the Iron Shard and the Umbral Edifice, um, which is this temple city that's built on top of a mountain. Um, and there's a pretty cool picture actually on the map. So um, they have this metal that's not realm stone but it has a lot of really cool properties to it and they make all of the knives that the uh the daughters of cain use um and they have a specific name for it and i am blanking on that name right now the Kuroth blades Kuroth blades um they have a specific way of making those blades specifically for iron shard and it is a well-kept secret, and nobody else knows how to do them. And they actually are able to have some magical properties that really mess with everybody that they're fighting. So that was a yeah, absolutely. Um, I was looking up because I, I I was looking at the list of the strongholds and the list of the subfactions, and it didn't occur to me that the Drashi Ganeth is both the name of the Tower of Blades, I think, mm-hmm. and also the yeah. subfaction. I didn't put two and two yep. together, but. Uh, yeah, apparently yeah, it's yeah, both. The ex- executioner's tower. Okay, yeah. nice. And so um, I'll just a quick blurb about that. I mentioned it before, but um, there's this tower of blades, and it's think of it as I, I don't know. I know there's a movie that's like this, where like each level of the tower is its own arena, and each arena has its own like hallmark. Uh, I don't know environment or or, or specific uh, I don't know threat that you have to deal with. Like one of them is like this, like in this tower, one of these arenas is like an in, in inside lake, indoor lake, I guess is what you'd say, um, full of like sea creatures and islands that you have to jump around from. And and there's another, you know, there's other ones. There's all different um, environments and different you know battlefields that um, folks need to fight on. But it's all in this you know multi tower or multi floored uh, tower, and it's where the um, 
the it's literally the name of the tower that I just said, the Drachi Ganath. So that that subfaction is is the arena fighters. And so um, we've talked a little bit about how uh, the Daughters of Cain they sort of integrate into society through um, these gladiatorial fights and these arenas that sort of spring up in the different cities of Sigmar. And so these this subfaction is all about that. Like that's their bread and butter is these arena fights because they think that they're um, worshiping Cain through this you know bloody combat. Um, and so it's where you get a lot of your, your witch elves and your sisters of slaughter and specifically the, the high gladiatrixes, uh, which I had mentioned before in that story that we were, we were talking about. So um, they, you know, will hail from this tower, though I, I imagine they're sort of permeating throughout all the cities of Sigmar as well as they're spending a lot of time in those arenas. So very cool. Well, and I think we actually... This is a little bit on the side, but there was a Black Library novel where we were actually in one of those arenas that was slowing, fully, slowly filling up with water. I feel like it was like Silver hmm. Shard or something like that. Something like that, yeah. I Yep. Um, I mean, very arena-esque, right? Like it was yeah. meant to be like a coliseum type. There was an audience up on these, you know, rafters and yeah. Yeah, yeah stepping they, stones and there were animals swimming that were, they had to kill. Yeah. yeah so yeah, very similar. similar. Uh, cool. Um, so we talked a little bit about like where they live and what their, their factions are. Uh, and I guess the other thing I would have talked about would have been where does their authority come from? But Will, I mentioned it before that, yeah, it's really whatever Marathi wants is what Marathi gets, right? And everyone's just jockeying for position and trying to please her so that they can, you know, ascend the ranks of the 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 org chart that is the Daughters of Cain. Um, yeah, and I think um, just a, as an uh, as a addendum to this, you know, one, one thing they make a distinction of in the book is that the Scathborn uh, are... 100% loyal to Marathi, like, the, you know, where the, the normal witch elves can think for themselves and come to their own conclusions. Uh, it, re- it reiterates the Scathborn are 100% loyal. So they're part of her inner circle. They're the one, they're the elite fighters, and they also go out and eliminate threats and, you know, can uh, disguise themselves and move through the crowds and, and look for threats. But, you know, so it's like her secret police. And, um, and, and now that she's become a goddess, she's letting them be seen more and more outside of the cities by other organizations. So, Right on. Um, so does anybody else have any thoughts about how they work at home, you know, uh, in, internally? Uh, any other things to add there? Because then I'm going to ask, what do they do outwardly, you know, uh, at home versus at, abroad? Um, you know, how do they you know, how do they interact with the world? I think one way one way we can maybe highlight that if there's an answer to this question um, is a question posed by Icarion from our uh, Discord, and they ask, uh, "What is the Daughters of Cain agenda now that Marathi completed her Godhood mission and managed to get?" redemption from sigmar though that's a point of contention i don't know if he actually, she actually got redeemed but like what are they doing right now i don't know if the book touches on it or what did you, what did you guys think about you know what their agenda is currently um can i just point out arena of shades here please do yeah. is um they don't talk about it much if at all in the battle tome and that just got released and so arena of shades is the box set that was released with the night haunt versus the daughters of cain but it also has a decent amount of lore about why those two are fighting together. And um, so that's, and to me, that's the, what's happening now is that Nagash has taken umbrage at the fact that Marathi just like gave away a bunch of souls from Anvilgard to the Aideneth in recompense for their cooperation in taking Harkiron and defending Harkiron from the Stormcast Brotherhoods that were attempting to take it back. 
Um, so that I highly recommend reading it. It's super fun. Uh, a lot of little, little stories and a lot of kind of big stories to tie in together. Um, so, um, and what's motivating them there is, I, I think Marathi is trying to consolidate what she has at this point. And it also, I think at one point mentions that they're not doing Dawnbringer Crusades because she's not Sigmarite, but they are sending out um, different groups of people to start new settlements anyway, because they want to really make sure that they have defenses and they have awareness of what's going on around them on the Charwin coast. So yeah, I think her main, her main goal, or at least, you know, and always has been is spreading their influence through temples and arenas. And that's where they get worshipers. And, and, um, you know, she draws blood from all the different cauldrons of blood into the mother cauldron, at least she used to. And that's where she got a large portion of her power is from all this blood sacrifice really. Yeah. And as far as like dealing with people outwardly, I'd mentioned like she's using the gladiator arenas to like bring people into the cult. And something Arena of Shades points out is that that is happening fairly successfully in Harkaran itself. You think there is a city of people that she has conquered that she, you know, slaughtered a bunch of and only stopped because Sigmar kind of told her to. And they're kind of starting to turn towards her because she's putting on such a spectacle and showing how powerful her forces really are. And that's just being replicated across pretty much all of the free cities. Yeah. Like what, what does a God want beyond, you know, more followers or more support? Um, it, it, she, she like quickly is becoming, I think one of the most, I believe one of the most like worshiped gods out there um, through this and, you know, through the ritualistic combat and like the spectators of that um, is, is a, she's growing quickly because of, you know, that, um, I don't know that in, in, flux of followers that way didn't somewhere in the book didn't say there's even something a little um unnatural about these uh these arena fights and how they're converting the people right like they're getting like they're being driven the audience is being driven to a frenzy by witnessing these sort of ritualistic combats in sort of a more otherworldly otherworldly way and they're not necessarily being um like hypnotized or anything like that but like it's affecting you know who they are as people and there it's making them fall to the sway yeah. of marathi in the same way that you know kind of a chaos god like attracts its followers in some ways and i think it even specifically says that's like the vip show yeah where yeah. if you have any sort of ranking in society you get invited to like the after show and you get to see like the true ritualistic combat the real stuff the pay-per-view stuff um so yeah exactly. that, it's uh that's that's definitely wild and, and so it seems as if that was always the case even before she ascended but like it's especially the case now these days uh a question i always like to ask is i always i always want to see if we can pinpoint who we think their allies are and who we think their enemies are so let's start with their allies does anybody have any uh thoughts on who who, who are the the daughters of canes i'm gonna say true allies but that is maybe misleading because who's to say they have true allies at all um but what do you guys think uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I would want to say the Ideneth Deepkin because they have an arrangement, but but some of the book also talks about how the Ideneth are building up forces around the capital of Agnar, <laughs> uh, you know, for eventual re retaliation, even though she gave back the lantern. But, uh, you know, so it's a little uh, unclear whether they're actually allies or not. 
and now she's not there. So who knows how long that's going to last. Uh, if this book hadn't said anything about it, I would have assumed that eventually the Deepkin and the daughters would have been like merged into a book like down the line. Like I, they would have been souped. But like the fact that they bring that up there makes me less less inclined to believe yeah. that, you know, they'll be combined at one point, which is fine with me. I prefer, obviously I prefer them separate. So that's, that's no, that, no problem in my book. And then would we call the Stormcast allies at this point? Guys, what do you think? I I think Stormcast and Daughters of Cain fit both into allies and enemies. So frenemies then, obviously. Yeah. Yep, yep. Allies of convenience. Okay. All right. If you guys if you guys say so. Um and are there any other allies out there that you can you can think of? They can ally with Lumineth, can't they? Which is absurd, right? Yeah, it's not there yet, but they definitely can ally with Umbredeth. They have stories about that. Yeah, sure, show sure. Malarion's faction. Whenever we see that, it's the best we got for them right now. It's Lumineth too. What do you know? What do you know? Um, all right, allies maybe not as interesting, but I'll tell you who. What is interesting is the enemies. You're defined by who your enemies are. Um, what uh, what enemies can we come up with for the uh, daughters of Cain? What do you guys think? Oh, definitely Slanesh. Still, still an enemy, and there's even. Um, one of the the factions, the, um, the Xanthar Kai, which are uh, I guess it's the first amongst the Scatheborn. Or they actually maintain a a sect in the ruins over the valley where they they fought a large Slanesh host and defeated them. Just because Marathi is worried that Slanesh will once again make its appearance there. This in this particular demon, uh, demon prince Lucius as well. So so yeah, they're definitely Slanesh is on her her list of. Uh, concerns i think it mentions at one point that uh, she has uh, a a short list of like individuals with whom she has uh beef some might say and i do believe the newborn which is to say those slaneshi twins that were uh Mm -hmm. ejected from slaneshi when she was achieving her godhood she uh does not the dude does not abide and by the dude i mean marathi does not abide by um apparently newborns i guess and so that's they're on her hit list essentially uh they got a target on their back so um personally i would much rather see that like that fight go down than the marathi kragnos like fight so the fact that like the timeline ended with her with the shadow queen rocketing off after kragnos i'm like no 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 you're going the wrong way like that's not who cares? Oh, um, Age of Beasts. It's all in Gurb now. It's yeah, all in Gurb. Oh, it's well, lame. But when um, Malarian comes, it'll be Age of Shadow or something like that. Yeah, right? Hopefully. So, Kragnos has been around for 15 minutes and somehow has a personal beef with everyone. <laughs> He's speed running this whole thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, I don't know. It's just his personality. <laughs> I guess. Uh, you know, me and Kragnos have that in common. Um, so, <laughs> speaking of enemies, uh, she also. If if her, it seems like she has a relatively short list, it's the newborns from Slanesh or the twins that is, uh, and Kragnos just made her list of things to do today, and so the the Shadow Queen, like we said before, is is off hunting uh, centaurs, um, and uh, let's see how that plays out. It didn't it didn't end well for her last time. Nope. I was say, and the interesting thing about like Marathi and the daughters of Cain is you can just. If you go to you know Games Workshop store page, uh, open up the menu to see all of the factions and all of the different 
um, grand alliances, you can just copy and paste that into future enemies or unwitting enemies, and you're good to go. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was following along. Well, I, I opened up the web store. I opened up all the sections, and I was, I'm like, all right, what does he want me to do? Oh, he wants okay, to copy and paste. Okay, copy. All right, what now? Oh wait, he's making a. Jo- you guys, he's making a joke. I get it. Okay. Solid, <laughs> solid goof. Um, all right. I do. I guess if I was going to say any other enemies, but I feel like that probably covers them um, at that point. Uh, any other uh, Daughters of Cain abroad type thoughts before we maybe talk about how the lore intersects with the tabletop? They did have one small point, which is that one of the um, sub-factions is all about fighting and uh, battle in particular has been accompanying a ton of Dawnbringer Crusades. Not because they care about the Dawnbringers, not because they care about Sigmar, but because there's going to be a lot of fighting and a lot of people are going to die. So I want to be there so I can kill them. <laughs> that was a fun and what, and yeah. what, and what right. faction is that? Is it the Kraith? Probably. It's the Kraith. Yeah. Focused on poison and fighting. And they think book learning is lame. What are you doing on all these temples? The temple is, is, is the battlefield. The temple is out there uh, wherever your enemies are and your knife at their throat. Um, so they're uh, all about all about that action. All right, cool. Hey, guys, I know a lot of these, um, you know, the models or units in the Daughters of Cain book, not all, but many of them are have been around for a while. But you know what? I have I have yet to ask anybody what their favorite ones are. So, I mean, here's you've got your pick. You can take your take your choice. Um, which units or um, or, you know, models uh, you can define it any way you want. But uh, in in this here battle tome, which are your guys favorites? Tell me about them in great detail. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. I like the Melusi Iron Scale um, and just the Scathborn in general, but I like the idea that we have this actual general of the army now. Uh, the Blood Sisters and the Blood Stalkers are cool models, and I really like them, but I like that there is an actual hero of their type because I feel like that was something that was specifically missing. And I know that's not from this book, but um, it is in particular one of my favorite units because it does it gives some sort of hierarchy where there wasn't a hierarchy before because before it was, I'm making you all into these scathborn half, half snake, half women soldiers. I think it's pronounced, I think it's pronounced we men. Sorry. You're right. We men. Um, but, uh, there was no one to lead them. And now if Marathi wasn't there, but obviously Marathi can't be everywhere. So now we have a hero that actually does that. And and the whole process of they're being created by the Shadow Queen. And then now there's possibly two different armies of the Scathborn wandering around. Well, it's just the Medusa, you know, and, and it's hard to, you know, I guess they have slightly different powers, but it's just the Bloodrack Medusa that are made by the Shadow Queen. I don't think the oh, is it? Melusai are... Fair. Hmm. Which is um, an absurd distinction, but yeah. It's, yeah, you know, it's hard to figure out. I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't, not sure. I think the, the Medusae uh, had the snakes, but the, the Melusae do not, but uh, I think. Yeah, you're right. The Melusae and the Blood Sisters and the Blood Suckers are all made from that mother cauldron um, that the blood um, of Cain goes into to create these Scathborn. Um, but that's actually a point that we didn't, I don't think, cover at any point, which was, I think, is super intriguing and can't wait to see what we see from this, which is that um, one of the big points in Broken Realms was that Marathi has this cauldron that every cauldron of blood, when there's blood put into it, it feeds off into this mother cauldron. 
and the mother cauldron was actually broken when she became a god. And there's a real question, a lot of talk in this book about, well, what happens now? Because they've talked about how she's trying to fix it, but it can't be fixed or she doesn't know how to fix it. But mm-hmm. that's a lot of where she get all gets all of her powers from. And that's how she creates more blood sisters, blood stalkers. So, and mm-hmm. assumingly, that's also one of the things that causes the the curse on the males within the daughters of Cain as yeah. well, right? Like this yep. seems to be the yep. center of her power. So if that's broken, what else is going wrong? Like, it, can this godhood still exist? Like, does she still have godlike powers? Right. She's become a god. Uh, and it even mentions uh, in the sidebar, it says that, you know, her attempts to repair the cauldron, they've birthed a host of malformed monstrosities that shriek and hiss in the depths of the Kuthu, you know, which is in the, the bowels of Hagnar, mm. where they are fed regular supply of lethanum thralls, unfortunately. But yeah, but it's like, okay, yeah, she's, it's broken. She's trying to fix it, but instead she's making all these monsters and she's keeping them alive, you know? (laughs) So when might we see these monsters? (laughs) And I think that's a good transition to the unit I want to talk about, which is the Doomfire Warlocks. uh, Because we're going to talk about the Lathanum and we're going to answer a listener question at the same time. Bam. Uh, which is Kiribon asks, how high can a male advance in their society? And the answer is Suicide Squad, baby. <laughs> uh, we should all be so lucky. We should we should be so lucky. Um, it, like the description for Doomfire Warlocks just kind of talks about males in this society. You know, it's the daughters of Cain. It's one of the three words that makes up the faction is um, – <laughs> Um, a feminine word. And so what happens to all the guys? And the answer is Marathi only wants the worst, most broken souls to be used to create male elves, which are pretty much exploited for labor and are drained for blood. Uh, And sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And sacrifice. Uh, If you're lucky enough to have just like enough magical power, you will be cursed forever uh, to live a life of agony and pain, but <laughs> you do get a horse. <laughs> so it, it balances out. Interestingly enough, in, in the Arena Shades text, it, it, talks about, it talks about them from a little differently, where it talks about the Doomfire Warlocks as being males that somehow gained power by packs with the shadow. Mm-hmm. And then they're allowed to live, but they're given this mark to keep them from succumbing to shadow so they can live, but it's very painful. Yeah. So it's very different actually than what was in the battle tome. So I thought that was an interesting divergence. As we read, it's like two different versions because the mark is the, what is it, the Dom Kia, which is, it gives them more power, but it does make them like more of a, like tied to their master, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the answer to how high can a male advance in their society, just go eat, get eaten by those half elf monstrosities underneath <laughs> right now. That's the highest you can get in society as a male. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, very cool. Um, Josh, do you, did you already do one? No, you've just been talking. Do you have a, do you have a favorite, um, unit or model very similar to paul's uh, uh the scathborn are really intriguing models the malusai the half snake and the 
harpy like the Kinarai models are, are really cool. I, you know, I think they're kind of fun divergence from you know what Daughters of Cain were back in the world that was, and it's interesting their lore how it's changed and and what they're you know looking forward to seeing what their involvement is in terms of the story going forward. Um, I will call out a unit. Uh, a because they're relatively new, and B because we got a question about them. But uh, uh, Tyromancer, uh, patron of the show, thank you very much. Um, he asks: Aside from the events of Broken Realms Marathi, do we get any more information on the Shadow Stalkers and what they continue to do for her, and any neat tidbits that are mentioned about them? Um, so we honestly have touched a little bit. We talked about them a little bit before. Uh, we were we were surprised, or you know, delighted to see that they were, um, you know, sort of. I don't want to say shoehorned, but they were introduced earlier in the timeline that maybe we would have ex- expected. They have been around f- since even the Age of Myth. Um, so these uh, Shadow Stalkers, they receive a, a, another mark. And we talk about how different um, you know, followers of Marathi, they get different marks. And so they receive the shade mark that allows them to travel the Umbral Web, which is a series of like shadowy realm gates uh, that are particularly treacherous, treacherous and hard to navigate and hard to find even. It's really only Marathi and Malarian that know how to navigate them but she uh, passes out this shade mark that allows these folks to travel the umbral web as well um but little do these individuals know that the more time that they spend in the umbral umbral web the basically they're spelling their own doom and eventually they're going to deteriorate into this living shadow uh but they don't know that and marathi doesn't want them to know that uh so they're, (laughs) they're doing all this traveling where it seems to be you know slowly if not killing them slowly transforming them into something else uh and i'd written down here but we had mentioned it before but the followers of Marathi are not the only ones that travel this uh, umbral web, but Malarian has agents that uh, use it as well, which is pretty legit. So, uh, Tarmancer, I don't know w- how much of that we already knew versus whether just this is just a repeat from other books, but it's worth sharing anyways. Um, and also, they're just flat out cool. Um, they they basically are running errands for Marathi. Anything that needs to get assassinated or you know spied on because they really can get into all sorts of places uh, with their shadow. Um, shadow traveling um and so we see them uh, in uh the war cry so like that obviously they're um have a presence in the eight points they were they were part of the broken realms marathi story and how um she was able to scout out where the varanite was but then also they are um infiltrating uh the nether maze um as well uh in right. hunting hunting down i think some rogue uh um elves i think deepkin um there as well so she's got crack teams of shadow stalkers all over the place so uh plus they're just flat out pretty neat looking uh anybody have anything to add about that other units that they want to talk about uh okay that about sums it up. I guess maybe I'll throw in one more just as real quick. We talked about the high gla- gladiatrixes. It's worth calling out because it's the most new thing in this year book um, in that uh, it was introduced with the Arena Shades. Uh, to, I mean, the same way that Paul was talking about how he likes the um, Maluse Iron Skills because they are sort of the lead. She's the leader of these really cool you know, units, the Blood Sisters and the Blood Stalkers. Now, the Sisters of Slaughter also have a, a hero model as well, right? So that um, those, those sisters are always... Um, gla- gladiators in their own right. Now we've got this high gladiatrix to sort of lead them. So um, she empowers the sisters in the, the witch elves as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, though I will say, I do hate whips. They're pretty terrible. I wish they'd stop putting whips on things. So the other thing is that the, the high gladi- gladiatrix actually has no role in the army, as it were. Like, it, as opposed to the head queens or the slaughter queens or, you know, even the blood rack Medusae where they have some leadership role. Um, this character is a hero 
but they have no role in the, the church or in the worship of Marathi Cain. They're just really good at killing things really well. And so when they go to battle, it's really their presence as opposed to any office that they possess that causes others to fight better around them, which I thought was a little interesting. Yeah, like an aura buff. Yeah, And it specifically calls out that there is no like promotion ceremony. Like, oh, you went from a gladiatrix to a high gladiatrix. No, it's just, oh, hey, that person kills a lot. They're here with us. I guess we fight better now. Uh, there's no, it's like not a rank, so to speak. Uh, any other units or models or things that folks want to talk about on that front? Because um, if not, this is normally where we talk about the sub-factions, but I think we actually covered quite a bit of them. However, and this is a little out of order, sorry, sorry everybody, but this is where I had written down all the questions that people were asking about the potential for anti-Marathi schisms. Uh, but guess what? We really kind of talked at length about that already, but I'll, I would be remiss if I didn't give the chance these folks a chance to at least ask their questions. And so Darth Alec asked, have they expanded on any anti-Marathi schisms? I just said that. Uh, Kirian asked, uh, are there examples of infighting in the Daughter of the Cain Nation in the Battle Tome? And Kiriban asked, do Splinter groups still revere Cain or are they throwing in with another god? Uh, I think that's all summed up in a lot of what was talked about when it, we were chatting about the Calibron um, and how they're hunting out different, you know, blasphemous sects of of uh, the daughters of Cain and they, they're worshipping Morahag, sometimes worshipping Cain um, and Marathi is still, even to this day, even being a goddess herself is still, um, maybe nervous isn't, but is, is um, wary of letting folks know that she herself is not necessarily the second coming of Cain, but her own thing, because if those followers of Cain found out, even a goddess wouldn't necessarily be able to stand up to like the retribution that her followers would, you know, turn on her. So, um, I know we've talked a lot about it already, but does anybody have any final thoughts, at least as it relates to the infighting or schisms in the Daughters of Cain? Yeah, I think uh, just to, to reinforce the fact that only in, in Hagnar is is she kind of regarded as the reborn goddess Marathi Cain. I think a lot of the other factions, it kind of hints at the fact that they're still worshiping Cain and they recognize that she is, you know, their leader, but they don't necessarily believe that she's Cain reborn. Um, you know, so the, I think there are still factions that are worshiping Cain and they worship her as an aspect of that, but not as a new goddess. Wasn't there a story where like someone stood up to her and said, Hey, I, I know you're not Cain or I know you're not the new embodiment of Cain. Um, uh, and she goes, Oh, yeah, you know, cool. Let's talk about it. And so uh, the, the objector rolls up and there's a bunch of avatars of Cain standing around and then uh, Marathi controls the avatars and orders them to like just smash the uh slice her into pieces yeah. That's what it was yeah um just yeah. slice her up and like so like you know cane or not i still got control over these avatars so um, right right yeah, that was exactly. all the proof uh, all the proof that anybody needed and the objector messed up because the objector said like yeah only Kane can control these avatars probably should right. double check that first before they said anything famous famous <laughs> last words mm-hmm. right speaking of marathi i know folks wanted to talk about um this uh the the sort of splitting and again I, we've we've dabbled on it but maybe we can dive deep specifically because darth alec is asking about it um but he was asking does the book give any more hints on who split uh, marathi apart when she split from her shadow queen to marathi kane um i don't think it does do you guys did no glean any insight it specifically mm-hmm. didn't mention any of the details that we had in Broken Realms, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's less specific. <laughs> yeah, even more vague. Um, he also asks, how many snakes does she have in her hair? Which, haha, I don't know that the answer, know the answer. But then <laughs> he does ask, does the book even talk about it, though? Does the book talk about the snakes in her hair? It mentions it once, but it doesn't give any insight behind it, I don't think. Uh, at least as far as uh, I can tell. Only as part of the Shadow Queen and that the snakes biting the designated Mulusai is what changes him to the blood rack medusa oh well, that's interesting yeah okay right on mm. so it's like the poison coming out from those snakes from her hair transform them into the, the mm. medusa um these are some simpler questions leading into something a little bit more interesting i think is that does everyone know that marathi is two people now um i think the book talks about it what do you guys think i don't think everybody knows she knows but it said in the book that she presented the shadow queen a lot of people thought that it was some shadow demon or something, that, or some, uh, some creature from the realms that she has control over. I don't think mm-hmm. people really understand that it's her. Yeah. Except for the Scathborn. The Scathborn, I think I'll know, because they're 100% loyal. Well, and, it, and it, it is a continuation of where before she hid the fact that she could turn into the Shadow Queen, right? When they were literally of one body, she never wanted anybody to know that like that was what she, her, her true nature was. And so she is continuing that... Um, obfuscation and now nobody really knows that that is also one half of her split soul either so that's pretty cool um do you guys any have we rung marathi out is there any other marathi topics that we want to talk about i mean i just had a thought like going into conspiracy theory um Mm -hmm. please do so like you know people don't know that the shadow queen is also her they think it's this big monster so when it flies away to gur and then she starts chasing it I wonder what people think is going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> do, do they think she lost her pet? Could it be seen as like the shadow beast is leading the charge and Marathi follows? Like, it, now I want to know more about like people's perception of this relationship, especially as the Shadow Queen starts developing her own agenda. Yeah, true. Um, you know what, listeners, if you want to write that story, I'm pretty sure we'll we'll read it unless Will I writes will. it first. Nope, I will not. <laughs> so there's an interesting double meaning that would not necessarily play to American audiences, but that would actually play to British audiences. I don't think you can make that claim, but okay. Uh, so shadow has more than one meaning um, in terms of governance. Every member of parliament or every and in parliament, they have secretaries. So they, we have our secretary of state here, but they have secretaries of transportation and stuff in the UK, right? But that's for the party that's in charge. For the party that's not in charge, they have a shadow secretary Hmm. whose entire point is to argue the opposite of what the person in charge is arguing Hmm. and to give a good conversation back and forth. Like devil's advocate. Correct. Okay. And so since we now have Marathi Kane, who's the god but we also have the shadow queen who's the god right like it actually plays off of that that the shadow sure. queen is now arguing against what marathi kane wants to do at this point mm-hmm. yeah so we are opposite emotional sort of thing too. yep all right very cool uh does anybody have anything else to add about marathi point one Point two, does anybody have any other points of general points of interest? It doesn't have to be about Morathi at all, though don't let her hear that. Um, But uh, any other tidbits from the book that you all found interesting before I dive into some additional listener questions? Well, so we had talked about the Mother Cauldron, but I think 
something that I'm really intrigued to see how they follow it up is that the mother cauldron also somehow siphons half the soul of the Leonathan when they are born. And so with the bowl broken, what's happening to those souls? Right. We have more strong males being born. Yeah. We might have more strong Fellas. males being born. Yep. Or male monsters being born under head. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Either or. <laughs> well, and, and the blood is probably still coming, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So is the bottom of Hagnar going to flood? <laughs> with blood? <laughs> the blood right, like, flood. Yeah, blood yeah, flood. Blood flood. Classic. We've all been there. Right. Right. Um, all right. Let's ask some more listener questions. Uh, we got it. We got it. We got to get through them. So uh, here's a couple that are semi-related. And gosh, we kind of touched on these already, but I got to ask them. I don't want anybody to miss out. Uh, Ricky from the Discord had asked, uh, why do they still call themselves the daughter of Cain now that Marathi has ascended? As a god of near singular ego, it seems counterintuitive that all our followers bear another god's name. Could have talked about this earlier. Um, I think generally it's because not everyone really holds her up as the goddess, even though she is a goddess, but they still have their faith in Cain and she only has her authority because she's, uh, she is the re the reembodiment of Cain. Um, so her authority is coming from that connection still, even though she's, she's ascended, uh, in her own way. Here's a called shots cry. Sixth edition is when they're going to move with the daughters of Marathi. Mm. Or there's a sub schism where like there is Cain and Marathi. I don't know. Ooh. Um, uh, Wiz Warrior from this Discord, who I might point out, here's a new designation. He's, or they are a server booster, which is not a patron, but uh, something a little different. They boost the Discord server. Uh, they ask a subsuming, subsuming Kane as an appendix to her name. Um, is that just Marathi styled propaganda and her pursuit to consolidate even more power beyond what mere apotheosis provides? First of all, great vocabulary. Second of all, uh, I think, yeah, that's literally what we were just saying. Um, and that she's, Still, even with from her own, you know, uh, from her own accomplishments, so to speak, uh, she still has to hold on to that cane name to ensure that, like, the entirety of her faction uh, is supporting her. Yeah, they, even in, in one of the in some of the texts, it even says at the beginning she knew Cain was dead, you know, and all that. All they had left was the heart, so mm -hmm. she just completely used the name to gain power. Yep, exactly, and that's still the case these days. Uh, he asks, or they ask, is Cain just another dead god? And I think that's that's true. Well, but the other thing is that Marathi can't come out and say that she's a god because that would imply that at some point she wasn't, right? And so the the tension with the followers of Mariah Hegg is that she claims she's the rebirth of Cain. She is the reincarnation mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. Cain. And so she's not subsuming Cain as an appendix. It is a title stating that I am the new Cain. Right. right, like I, I, which does still imply a change. So it, it is interesting, but yeah. So it's not necessarily just propaganda, but also it is exactly propaganda. <laughs> um, and so even though she finally is a god, she still has to pretend that another god is giving her power. So what, what, a, what a tough position to find yourself in. Um, switching gears entirely. Brand new theme, but we got a couple questions about Malarion, the goddess shadow. So Akarian asks, uh, do we get any hint of the coming of Malarion in the battle tome? 
uh, Kelborn asks, any repercussions between Marathi Kane and Malarian, um, or rather, does he show up in any way? Uh, Chrisling asks, how has Marathi's relationship with Malarian developed since her ascension? And to all of those, I say, I have no idea. I'm not sure. I don't know that it's really uh, touched mm-hmm. on much in this book. His name is brought yeah. up in the battle tome on occasion, especially in the early days, like the age of myth. Uh, but yep, he seems yep. strangely... About Shatterstackers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he seems relatively strangely absent absent from current events, which is probably by design, right, from Games Workshop's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you guys think? Yeah, no, we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming soon or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably bigger, or, uh, a lot more between now and when Malaria sh- Malarian shows up. Other other focuses for now. Uh, Kelborn asks, um, anything new about Olgu in general? And that's a pretty broad question, but did you guys come up with anything new about Olgu? I didn't know too much about these uh, strongholds in Olgu, though maybe other people did and it was just new to me um but did you guys find anything new about the realm at all in this book um i think they they touched on a lot of the like umbra web and other things before but you know one of the things that uh, will brought up is the the umbranathi warriors you know which, which is an interesting name because you know we have like the karnathi warriors you know so okay so what is the distinction you know these warrior types and what would that look like yeah. so that's something we hadn't seen i was gonna say i'm looking at um, the this beautiful map in the battle tome, Ooh, and just in huge bold letters, uh, it looks like Olgaroth is just the name of the area. Oh, uh, oh no! There's 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 the Olgaroth spiral, and then Greater Olgaroth as like part of the continent. Don't ruin it for okay. me, Will. <laughs> but just warriors from the region. Okay. We were having yeah. fun. <laughs> we were so close. Well, because I wanted to call out like. Since this is my first time reading a DOK battle tome, there's just literal blood splatter on the map showing the blood going to Marathi. <laughs> and I love yep. it. Yeah. Again, here's a, a topic that we had kind of touched on before. Man, my questions are really out of order this episode, but a few about Arena of Shades. Uh, Wiz Warrior, again, the server booster, uh, was asking Is there any more to be said about Harkiran, Nate, Amblegard uh, than what was provided in the Arena Sh- of Shades booklet? Um, I think pr- covered it pretty. Uh, exhaustively there up above um, and used arena of sh- uh, shades to talk about it as well. So like we learned a bit both from this battle tome and uh, that booklet from the box set. Neil um, Hearn asked, does the battle tome build on events of arena of shades um, or is this just a paragraph in the book? I don't know that arena of shades is in the battle tome at all. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not uh, even a no. paragraph in this book. No. Yeah. It takes right? after, after the battle tome, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. yeah quite possibly. Um, I think on occasion we'll get, um, those battle box stories as a as a timeline, you know, paragraph or a timeline story, if we're lucky. Uh, and we weren't lucky this time. So sorry, Mealhern. I'm even going to say like the opposite in regards to is there more about Harkaran and the battle tome? And I will say that there might actually be more information in the Arena of Shades booklet because it really goes into some of the it has more words to spend on what that relationship of the city is like. Yeah, true. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a good thing that uh, we were able to sneak in a read of it before we talked about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and Mealhorn uh, asked another question that I always like asking is, uh, is there foreshadowing for new armies? Uh, maybe one of the new books in a surprise is a surprise with a hint already in this book. However, although I like asking the question, I inevitably don't like the answer in that. Like, I don't know that I see any foreshadowing. Do you guys see foreshadowing here? No, I, I, I mean, the Git story was pretty cool. Maybe that's something that will make it into a Git's battle tome at some point. Um, but 
I didn't see anything that jumped out as like, oh, this is super cool. This is super interesting. I, I, I think, you know, that Will pointed out that one of the continents is named this. So we actually know specifically where that there is a specific force of Malarion in a specific place. That's kind of... I, I would say the closest thing we have to a hint is if we get a Seasons of War based in Olgu, we have a lot of little pieces of information that could possibly be built out. And that's being very generous. <laughs> yeah. Too, too. And then uh, thinking back, like in the, in the Land of Illusions section um, earlier on, the, it does point out that the, the Daughters of Cain have a lot of conflict with the Cruel Boys, Slanesh, and mm-hmm. Eshin. You know, yeah. and of course, people have been, you know, hoping for some Eshin stuff. So it could it could be foreshadowing. No more involvement with Eshin and Ogu. Yeah, absolutely. I for, I forgotten. I had written it down, but I didn't bring it back up. Um, it, it's it's maybe not convenient, but the fact that we got the um, Underworlds Warband and then the the character from the the new box set, um, they're they're giving some attention to Eshin, so maybe that means something. Um, eventually, mm-hmm. maybe that maybe there's more to come in that Scape book that is supposed to be coming this summer. So hopefully, fingers crossed. If if you do want more about Olgu, I would almost read Hero Deep, the the Hero Deep lore for Underworlds, mm-hmm. right? Because that's in this specific area, and then there's also a, a Black Library novel about it too to kind of explore a little bit more. Hey, actually, Paul, hold up! <laughs> now would be a great time to talk about what? any Black Library recommendations that we what, might what? have. So weird. you you had meant so go ahead, uh, don't <laughs> don't leave it unnamed. What was the second thing you were talking about? Uh, so I was talking about the Hero Deep. Um, short story collection, yeah, um, which uh, I read and I enjoyed as well. Um, and then, if you were to find, if you wanted something not Olgu specific, but actually Daughters of Cain specific, um, the Gotrek series actually has a companion named Malaneth, who is a daughter of Cain, but also an Order of Azir member. So um, there's an interesting dichotomy there that you can run through and read those stories. Uh, is she a with, daughter of Cain or does she want to be a daughter of Cain? She's definitely a daughter of Cain. Mm-hmm. She's also an Order of Sigmar agent. Mm-hmm. So she's she's taken Sigmar, she's but she still agent. very much fights and very much acts and very much gets power from bloodletting to the daughter of Cain. To Cain. Oh. Yeah. Gross. Even in the book just released, which is an interesting side note. Mm, very cool. Um, if we're going to, or I'll ask, does anybody else have any other Black Library recommendations for folks who want to learn more about the Daughters of Cain? Because I'm going to read these that I have right in front of me. <laughs> All right, here I go. Um, so there was a, a, a um, like a, kind of like the Harrow Deep compilation. There's a compilation of a few novellas called The Covens of Blood um, by Anna Stevens, Leanne Merciel, and Jamie Crisali. It's one of those I should read the names before before I try reading them out loud to make sure I read them correctly. Uh, but it's a, it's a one, two, three short uh, series of like novellas that are about the Daughters of Cain. Um, I haven't necessarily read all of them, but it's Daughters of Cain on the cover. So I, th- there's got to be some good information in there. I, j- I got to believe it. Um, and then there was also a short story called Oracle, which is about, I think, the ramifications of what happened after Harkiron Falls. That one I did read and I did like because it was a series of short stories about about and around the broken realms and i was all i was all gung-ho about broken realms and so that really made me like the short stories and so this is the marathi specific one i'm talking about you know the the events uh therein so that another recommendation for me um and if there are no other black library recommendations guys i think we're at the home stretch we might uh, give our little give our little review of what we thought of the book here um paul you're at the top of my list always 
Uh, what'd you think of the daughters that came battle tome? I, I really enjoyed this battle tome, um, because it gave a lot more information about Harkiron than I expected. Um, and the whole book just opened talking about Harkiron and the events of Broken Realms. And typically when we have done battle tomes in the past, that's always been at the end and, and much less information at the end. So I really appreciated that this book was intentionally set in the like in the perpetual now, as opposed to starting in the past and moving up into the perpetual now. Um, so I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, so I, I would probably give it um, eight out of 10 blood drops from the heart of Cain. Oh, nice. I forgot about the rating system. Oh, no. I'm gonna, it's not that I won't be listening to you guys' reviews, but I'm going to be sitting here trying to think of what my rating system is. All right, excellent. Who's going to be next? I think it will be Josh. Uh, what did you think of the battle tone? Uh, I also enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was uh, it was really nice to see progression of the story from, you know, okay, well, she, uh, she's a goddess now. We know that. Petard partook in Excelsis, and it actually continued the story. It's like, okay, this is what it's like now in Hagnar. This is, oh, yeah, there are factions that don't agree with her. There's, you know, rebellions in, in uh, you know, Harkuron. So I, I like the fact that they've, uh, you know, advanced the story and that it's not all, you know, roses. She's got all this conflict and there's this disruptions and not everybody um, believes she is who she is. So I think that's kind of leads lots of seeds for future opportunities. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, Malarian and his factions interact with that information when it comes out. So I, I definitely I give it five out of six Daughters of Cain factions. Mm. Okay, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, Will, what do you got for us? Yeah, um, I really liked how this book, like in setting up that there are like fractures in the Daughters of Cain and setting up their relations and, with other like armies and factions and how they kind of do their propaganda that it really feels like this is more than just Marathi plus other elves. It really feels like a unique and independent like culture and group. And I really loved a lot of the stories that were shared and how it really is giving an identity to the people that would follow uh, Marathi and the cult of Cain. So with that being said, I'm going to give it 900 out of 1000 cuts. Oh no, that's too many cuts. Um, uh, all right, what did I think of the book? So I, I, I think it is an above average battle tome. Um, we, we get a fair number of, and they're not churning them up, but we get them relatively quickly. And some there's a difference between a battle tome that they're just trying to catch the like the army up with like third edition in terms of like rules and make sure that they have all the bells and whistles for the game. And there's a, it's a difference between that and army books where they are they have some bit of story spotlight currently like they're movers and shakers in the actual actual like events that are occurring right now and this one i think leans towards the latter versus the former in that it does have things to say about current events it has things to say about you know recent events and but it also exclusively doesn't lean on the things that we knew already it does dabble on a little bit about you know revealing new things and not just token oh this is what they feel about cruel boys showing up but rather there's there's more to it than that and because of that i'll give it higher marks because um it it does offer some glimpses into some things that uh, we didn't 
know before. And I'm not just saying that because I didn't read the other battle tomes, but I still, I think there's still (laughs) new things in here, period. Um, So that is a point to its credit. Um, It doesn't necessarily push the story per se forward, but I think I've said this before in previous battle tomes. I'm not sure battle tomes are ever going to do that. Uh, That's not really the job of the battle tomes. And I need to stop thinking that they'll they'll ever accomplish that because I don't think they will. Um, So because of that, I'm coming to terms with things like that. I I enjoyed a little, enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, Again, it's never going to go toe to toe with, or it's never going to be ranked as highly as like a brand new army or a brand new faction. It's just, it just can't um, because I'm, I'm a sucker for those new, new things. Um, And so in doing so, I think again, squarely above average, it does uh, what I hope battle tomes will do, uh, which is to say it gives me things I knew, but it, it sprinkles enough new on top of it to make it worthwhile. Um, so with that being said, I don't know, maybe I'll give it, uh, I lied. I said, I was going to think about my rating system and I totally didn't. Um, <laughs> it's, what is it's, I don't know, maybe like a 10 out of 13. Is it the 13 regions of regions Olgu or it's Olgu. Yep. Yeah. Or like islands or something. So that's what I'll, I'll give mm. 10 out of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question for you guys. Hit me, don't literally hit me. Um, did this read as an order battle tome? Uh, d- no, but I don't care about the distinction of order battle tomes anymore. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Four years ago, maybe I would have cared, but I don't know that I care anymore. Because that, that was the thing that struck me through the whole thing, is this, this very much felt like a standalone faction, as yeah. opposed to yeah, something yeah. of an alliance. And typically, those are more like destruction-y battle tomes. And so... That was intriguing to me as well. I, was gonna say, I, I didn't do it. I'll be a, the judge of that all episode, but I don't know that it applies on that one. So I might have to <laughs> say, I'll be the judge of that, and then I'll splice it in earlier to some exactly, other time yeah. that you said I'm interesting. Sure I said a bunch of things. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. Um, excellent. So uh, does anybody else have any other final thoughts before we close her out? Last chance. Oh, no, you missed it. It's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord or drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. And Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. And Josh, where can they find you online? At J.E. Arrington. Uh, Wilkin, where can they find you? At Severalon. Uh, and I'm Aaron, and you can find me on Twitter at Dosesos, and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. What's worse is because I didn't. I'm not even done with the last pocket realms. Edit. So I know <laughs> after wondering. after night we'll have three episodes in the hopper that need to be edited out, which is why I was so desperate. One of those off on Davy. Davy, you uh, do this one. No, I don't trust him. I've listened to his show. I don't. I think I'll be. I'll be okay. Sure. Um, I did notice something that is going to bother me for a while, which is oh. I've been I've been staring at this map trying to find Harrow Deep. Yeah. And I couldn't, but right next to Hagnar is Deep Harrow. <gasps> oh, no. No, really?